0: Good morning, church family. It's so glad to be with you here this morning. It's great to see your smiling faces. I I know uh, with some of the storms we had this week, uh, many of us spent our last few days doing some yard work uh, that maybe was unintentional. But I'm so glad that you're here this morning with us to look at God's Word. My name is Brent Sickle. I'm one of the preaching pastors here at Wheaton Bible Church And I want to welcome those of you who are worshiping here as well as those who are worshiping online with us. Today, we continue our study of the book of Matthew. And I know you may be like, okay, we've been at this for a little over a year. Yes, we are coming more and more to the close of Matthew. We're in this final week of Jesus' teaching. And as we look at this today, we're looking at our, in Matthew chapter 24... And our message is entitled, The Returning King. With this message, title, and topic, I could not pass up the opportunity to add a Tolkien reference. Right, right, yeah? Uh, If anybody knows anything about me, uh, you know how much I like Tolkien. Tolkien. How many times I've read The Hobbits, The Lord of the Rings, The Cimmerillion, every other additional work. I may have even tried for a, a small period of time in high school to learn Elvish. <laughs> and I tried to convince my wife to name our first child, my daughter Bryn Arwen. So Tolkien is a great place in my heart. I couldn't pass up this opportunity with The Return of the King to add a Tolkien reference. But in Tolkien's book, in The Lord of the Rings, the final book, The Return of the King, the final chapters express a vision of cosmic renewal that closely mimics what we see in Scripture when we talk about the end times. God's declared that one day he will restore all things. Likewise, at the end of Return of the King, Tolkien describes how evil had been vanquished, and all things are set right. But one of my favorite passages comes right after the ring is destroyed at Mount Doom. Samwise Ganji, he wakes up, astonished he's still alive and surprised to see his friend Gandalf standing before him. And he asks him this question. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? This statement from Sam is so profound because it's so different than maybe the way we would ask it. He's not asking whether good things are going to come true, he's rather asking are sad things going to come untrue? Just like Sam, we as believers recognize that there's something terribly wrong with our world. We look around us and we see that it's filled with sadness. It's cursed by sin and the world groans as it awaits its future restoration. But we know with certainty from Scripture that those sad things will come untrue. The curse will be rolled back. The world will be restored. All when the king returns. Amen? Last week, Pastor Kyle began walking us through Jesus' final major teaching, this Olivet Discourse found in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. You can also see similar accounts and parallel accounts in Mark 13 and Luke 21. And this is the longest teaching by Jesus during his last week. As we look at it, we need to understand that its length and its central location make it the centerpiece of Jesus' instruction during his final days. And his entire focus is on the future and end times so today our focus and our portion of Matthew chapter 24 will focus on the king's return and the hope of the promise fulfilled of all things by Jesus. To help you along with this, uh, because we're in part two of this discourse, we're going to use the same format we used last week. So if you're here last week, you're going to understand where we're going this week. We're going to look at what Jesus said, why he said it, and what does it mean for us today? What Jesus said, why he said it, and what does it mean for us today? So look at your neighbor with, with, uh, who's sitting next to you and ask him, what did Jesus say? Oh man, that was quiet. You guys, we're after 10 o'clock. I've been up like, since like 5.30. So we're at 10 o'clock, let's, let's be a little better. Ask your neighbor, what did Jesus say? <laughs> Good. Look with me. We're going to look back at the verses we have. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 29, it says this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the others. From the fig tree, you learn this lesson. As soon as his branches become tender and it puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things, you know that he is near and at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Any time we're reading a prophetic or an apocalyptic passage about the end times, these words can become quite confusing, right? Maybe you've read this passage before and you're trying to figure out all that Jesus has said Matthew 24 here is no different than that. And actually Matthew 24 contains various exegetical points of difficulty that have now spawned so many different interpretations, we have to understand what did Jesus truly say. The main debate here in Matthew chapter 24 that we began to talk about last week involves which of these details that Jesus is talking about concern first century events, which details concern future events, and which ones are about both. Pastor Kyle outlined for us some of these interpretive views last week, and I just want to remind you of them. The first view about future events is the Preterist view. This view looks and says that the prophecies that Jesus is talking about here have already been fulfilled and were fulfilled within the 40 years immediately after Christ's death and resurrection culminating in 70 AD. The futurist view says that these prophecies have yet to be fulfilled in the future, but will be fulfilled by future events. The third view is a telescopic view, where these prophecies may have multiple horizons to which Jesus is predicting events, both in the context of the near future and the end times where they'll be fulfilled. No matter where we fall on that, though, most commentators today, as throughout church history, have agreed that our portion of scripture here in Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 to 31, We've reached a description of Jesus' public return at the end of human history as we know it. We already saw earlier in Matthew 24 where Jesus talked about and warned against interpreting his return as anything other than a personal, bodily, and visible return. And all throughout Scripture, we see a variety of other prophecies with similar language that speak not to a short, specific time frame, but rather convey the understanding of an imminent return. King Jesus, the everlasting God, not bound by time or its constraints, will come, and his return will be soon and be glorious. Arnold Olson, the commentator, writes this Ever since the first days of the Christian church, evangelicals have been looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. They may have disagreed on its timing or the events or the order. They may have differed as to a pre tribulation or post tribulation rapture or a pre post or non millennial coming. They may have divided it into a literal rebirth of Israel. However, all agree that the final solution to the problem of this world is in the hands of the king of kings, who will someday make his kingdom of this world his very own. All throughout Scripture, we are overwhelmed by the evidence as the certainty and importance of Jesus' return. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, one in every 25 verses speaks to his return. The second coming of Christ is mentioned 318 times in the 260 chapters of the New Testament it also occupies a prominent place in the Old Testament. In fact, most Old Testament prophecies concern the coming of Christ actually point to his second coming, not his first. They point to his second coming where he comes as the rule as king more so than it, than it concerns coming as his replacement for our sin. The return of Jesus is mentioned in every book of the New Testament. And just like our passage here today, we see Jesus speaking to his future return at the end of time and the certain fulfillment of all he has said in Scripture. And so church family, this morning I want our our passage to be an encouragement to you. That Jesus will return, he is our eternal king, and will keep all of his promises. Jesus speaks about his second coming. But why does Jesus say these things in the midst of his last days? Right, Jesus is speaking before he has gone to the cross, before he's even died for our sins. He's already speaking about a second coming. Why does he say that? That brings me to our second point. Why did Jesus say these things? The first reason why Jesus said this is that Jesus is the central focus of all biblical prophecy. Craig Bloomberg in his commentary says this. When Jesus talks about a second coming, Christology and eschatology come together in this radiant portrait of who Jesus is. Jesus is the exalted, divine Son of Man and Messiah who will one day return from heaven just as he would ascend into heaven. And when that happens, the chain of events culminating in Jesus' final judgment of all people of the earth will be set into motion then all will weep. His people with joy and his enemies with sorrow because they now recognize their fate is sealed. And despite numerous false prophets throughout history of the church whom Jesus himself predicted here in Matthew chapter 24, no one can know the time of this that will be. And so we must be prepared because his return could come At any time. The return of the king foretold here in Matthew chapter 24 by Jesus himself reminds us that Jesus is the center of God's kingdom. He is the ultimate king. And so both the king and the realm of his kingdom are subject to a variety of prophecies, all of which are the focus of Christ. We look back all the way in the beginning of our study in Matthew chapter 1. The New Testament declares the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Not only is Jesus the rightful descendant of both David and Abraham, he is also the only one qualified to fulfill both the Davidic and the Abrahamic covenants promised by God. And so all the prophecies and the covenants of the Bible find their total fulfillment in Jesus Christ alone. Paul speaks of such great confidence of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says these words, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. All of what God has promised is yes in the person and kingship of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the central focus of all biblical prophecies. Why else did Jesus say these things in his last days? He says them because Jesus fulfilled all Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. Jesus has and will fulfill all Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. Just because Jesus comes on the scene, do, we don't forget what Scripture says. We see that Scripture speaks to it and Jesus fulfills it. Just as we see Jesus as a focal point of God's purposes and through him all pro- promises, prophecies, and covenants are fulfilled. Both in the Old and the New Testament. So all of what is said about the Messiah, the coming king, both old and new, matters and must be fulfilled. Jesus reminds the Pharisees of this in Matthew chapter 5 when they're questioning him. Saying, just because you're here and you're teaching these things, does that mean we need to forget what was said in the Old Testament? Jesus says, no. Matthew chapter 5, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I want us to recognize that whatever the Scripture predicted had to happen just as it predicted. Jesus himself speaks about the Old Testament prophecies and places emphasis on them. We saw that earlier last week in Matthew chapter 24 when Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation. As he says these words, he's speaking back to the prophecy of Daniel being fulfilled. And so if Jesus viewed the details of Old Testament prophecies as important and needing to be fulfilled, so should we. The unique thing is we get to see it from a historical perspective and in hindsight. We get to see it now in light of the fullness of the New Testament. And as we see the Gospels unfold, it becomes clearer and clearer that the prophecies speak to two comings of Jesus that will be necessary. And so Jesus wants to make it very clear here That both of these comings of the Messiah are important for grasping the fulfillment of all that was prophesied. You see, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament predicted a Messiah would come to reign over a worldwide kingdom in Zechariah chapter 14. But this king would also suffer as a servant for the sins of his people in Isaiah 53. 53. In the Old Testament, it may not seem like there's much indication to two separate comings. But the truth of these two distinct arrivals of the Messiah are progressively revealed all throughout the New Testament. And so we have to have a reality and understanding that with two comings means that the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah also occur in two stages. Some prophecies are fulfilled by Jesus in his first coming that we see with the cross while others await his future return. The prophecies related to the person of Jesus, his identity of who he is as the Messiah, what he has done as a suffering servant of the Lord are fulfilled in his first coming. The prophecies related to his work on the cross as an atonement for our sins are fulfilled in his first time on earth. In addition, the establishment of the new covenant by Jesus with his death is a major fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy of the first coming of the Messiah. But just as Jesus talks here, we see there are prophecies related to the end times, the judgment of the Lord, the salvation of Israel, the Antichrist, the millennium, and other events connected all to Jesus' second coming. What I want us to take away from all of that is that the focal point of all prophetic events still to come are around the second coming and return of Jesus Christ. And so we as believers have to understand the belief in the return of Jesus as King is an indispensable doctrine to us as Orthodox Christians. The New Testament itself declares the necessity and imminency of a second coming of Jesus. Jesus says all these things so we understand that he's the central focus of biblical prophecy, and he's the fulfillment of all biblical prophecy, and that will be fulfilled in the return in his second coming. We're through the hard parts, okay? Take a deep breath with me. Breathe out. Okay, that's the theological work that we work through. That's hours of reading that we try to condense into this time. What I want us to take away is now what does it mean for us today? Right? We could do all of this study, but if we don't know what Jesus' words mean for us today and how do we live differently, we've missed the point. You see, we as a people are just as worried today about the end as the disciples were 2,000 years ago. That's what spurred the question, right? At the beginning of Matthew chapter 24, the disciples are worried about the end, and so they ask the question what is all these things? In the same way, we worry about the end. Predictions about the end of the world have taken place all throughout history. I know as I get on my TV and I scan through channels, a popular National Geographic show, Doomsday Preppers, comes up. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that's uh, your jam of a show. But what this show reveals is that many Americans are now stockpiling food, water, weapons, and whatever else may be necessary for life after a catastrophic event. They put their hope in these things. Each summer in the box office, doomsday movies reign. Our screens are filled with what the end of the world may look like. Will it be a meteor, global warming, nuclear war, or maybe another infectious virus? Historians, historians, scientists, and even religious leaders keep trying to predict the answer to the question of what the end will be like. Yet we as the church have hope. We have hope because Jesus makes it clear here in Matthew that the end is near, but with the end comes the return of the king, which is our blessed hope as believers. Amen? And so if we have an understanding of the reality of the second coming of Christ, it should reorient our perspective on how we live each day. And I want us to see that Jesus wants us to understand that it reorients us in three ways. The first is that we're to be watchful. Our perspective on life is to be watchful, or what I mean by that is expectant, eagerly waiting the return of the king. In verse 32 of our passage, we get the image of this fig tree. The fig tree learned its lesson. As soon as the branches became tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near and at the very gates. I know we're in July, and most of our plants, if you aren't out there watering them, are turned brown. But you remember back to spring, after the snow and cold of Chicago, right? We see the first budding of trees. We don't know the day that that tree is going to bud, but we know that it is going to bud, and so we expectantly wait for those things. As I was preparing for this, I was reminded... Of something I like to do with my son. So, my son Gavin is a big soccer fan or football for those of you uh, who watch it outside the US. But as we watch uh, any soccer game, and maybe you've watched it yourself, you realize that there's something unique about soccer. The time in soccer doesn't go down to zero, does it? It goes the opposite way. In soccer, a game goes towards 90 minutes. But is a game really 90 minutes? No. There's stoppage time, right? And stoppage time is this unique thing within the soccer game where at the very end they tell you there's a few more minutes. But it's not an exact thing. They don't say there's like a minute 37 seconds. No, they say roughly three minutes. And as a fan watching the screen, you're watching the players trying to score these final goals and you sit leaning in expectant for the whistle Of the referee, not knowing the exact time that it's going to take place. This is the type of expectancy that Jesus is reminding us of, of his return. We are to be hopefully expectant of Jesus' second coming, eagerly waiting his return. As you read all throughout the New Testament, you can get a sense that the writers are eagerly waiting for Jesus to come back. They're straining towards the day that he comes, almost on their tiptoes, yearning for his return. And so the New Testament church lived with alertness and watchfulness as if Jesus could come back at any moment. Church wanted to be watchful and expectant of our king's return. The second way our lives are reoriented because of Christ's words here is that we're to be prepared or spiritually ready. Jesus says all these things that we might be ready for his return. That we might have already made a decision and are actively following him because we can't wait to the last night. C.S. Lewis, in an essay he wrote regarding the second coming of Christ, says this, the doctrine of the second coming has failed so far as we are concerned if it does not make us realize that at every moment of every year in our lives, this question, what if this present were the world's Last night? Is that equally important? Let me say that again. The doctrine of the second coming has failed so far as we are concerned if it does not make us realize that at every moment of every year in our lives, this question what if this present were the world's last night? Let me say it this way. Would you live differently if you knew that Jesus was coming back tonight? It forces us to confront the questions of, am I ready? Or am I living in a way that I would be joyful to see my king return? I think we as a church need to live more like this. Christ's return could be today. And today may be your last chance to repent, your last chance to forgive, or even your last chance to share the gospel with someone you loved. Jesus desires for us to be prepared and spiritually ready for his return. Lastly, what I think Jesus is showing us from this text, our lives should be reoriented so that we are faithful. Last week, Pastor Kyle talked about that this faithfulness shows up in perseverance through hard times. We're to be faithful in perseverance as we're reminded, but we're also to be faithful in our missional urgency of proclaiming the truth of the gospel and making disciples just as Jesus commands in Matthew chapter 28. I think Jesus clearly makes this point in verse 14 earlier in this text, and he says this And this gospel of the kingdom. We preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Church family, we don't want to be caught not doing the work that we've been commanded to do. We don't want to be caught as an unfaithful servant. Let us not be caught just waiting around looking at the sky for his return are caught being distracted by the temporal things of this world. But let us be found faithful. Faithful to the mission that he's given us as disciples. Church, let us be known as faithful followers of our eternal king so that when he comes again, we can rejoice with hope because everything sad will come untrue in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are thankful of the hope-filled promise that you give us. That even before you went to the cross, you made the promise of your return. And Lord, we stand here today with hopeful expectancy that you will fulfill your promise knowing full well because you're the God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the God that is faithful, the God that fulfills covenants, the God that is trustworthy, the God that is true, that you will do that. And so, Lord, may we be watchful May we be eagerly waiting your return, but may our hearts be prepared. May our hearts be prepared by responding to your gospel. May our hearts be prepared by walking in your ways and your truth, not out of obligation, but out of our overflowing love for you. May our love not grow cold as we wait expectantly for you. As a church, may we be found faithful, faithfully carrying out your mission to make disciples, both here and around the world. Lord, we are thankful for this, for the power of your word. May it continue to speak to our hearts and minds today. We ask these things in your Son's holy name. Amen.